Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, I speak with interesting people in pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic medicine. And today, my guest is Gemma Norburn. Gemma is an anatomical pathology technologist, and today on the show, we'll learn all about her job, as well as the Association of Anatomical Pathology Technology. We'll talk about her blog, Mortuary Gem, and we'll talk a little bit about Death Cafe. Then after the show, stay tuned for a preview of our next episode, The Return of Elise Gray. Now, here's Gemma Norburn. I wanted to start with a little bit about your job. For actually, I saw you recently celebrated your three-year anniversary. So, yeah. uh, you, so you're an anatomical pathology technologist. Uh, so can, can you tell us what is this job and what are some of your job duties? Um, yeah, sure. So um, there's basically there's a huge range of tasks involved with my job. Um, I work at um, in a hospital mortuary. Um, APTs can work at kind of both hospital mortuaries and um, what they call public or local authority mortuaries. But I'm actually based within a hospital at, at an NHS trust um, uh, known as Barking, Havering and Redbridge University NHS Trust. Um, and uh, so we do, like I say, a wide range of things. We do um, mainly technical support at uh, post-mortem or autopsy, um, same thing, or um, and, and as well as that, we do kind of the everyday running of the mortuary. We book people in, we release people out to funeral directors. We do um, a little okay. bit of support for families and we do viewings for families or um, so families can come in and, and see their loved ones. Um, that's not kind of an exhaustive list. There's kind of almost too much to mention, but that's just the basic. Okay. Um, you mentioned that some of your colleagues work in public mortuaries. Is that like a medical examiner's office or or is that something else? That's kind of something else, yeah. Um, I think maybe, yeah, it's structured a bit different to how it is out in the US, but we have... Um, the outside of the hospitals, there are what a kind of local authority or council run um, mortuaries, which are um, for people who die in the community only. Um, so actually, where I work in hospital, we're we're like a dual purpose mortuary where we have hospital deaths and community deaths, but they're kind of located in, in okay. situations where they only have community deaths. Okay, I see, I see. All right, and and uh, so what's the training like to become an APT? Um, it is on the job training so um to become an apt you kind of initially you first have to get a, a trainee position and um, they're kind of they're described as being like gold dust they're quite hard to come by i think there's probably about 20 or so in the uk advertised per year um which means they're kind of very much sought after but once you actually uh -huh. have the trainee position then it's um a matter of undertaking a, a training course which is known as a, a level three diploma course which it takes about 18 months when COVID isn't happening. Um, I had kind of went through it all while COVID was was happening in this country. So, um, yeah, mine was a little bit longer. But ideally, it takes about 18 months. Um, and there's a kind of mixture of um, a bit of uh, assignments and written assignments, some actual written exams. Then you have a, a portfolio of evidence of different things to put together. And then you, when you've kind of completed all of that, then you have a, a practical assessment and then that's it. Okay. Can we talk a little bit more about some of those, the portfolio? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of things do you have to do for that? Um, there's uh, sections of uh, what they call um, like modules with different competencies involved. And um, for each one of those, you have to kind of put together 
you have to complete kind of to tick off different competencies within the modules um, with a series of kind of witness statements or reflective statements that you've written yourself about what you've done, or you can put together um, kind of photographs of different things for evidence or various different things, um, and then kind of compile that all together just to make sure that you 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 comply with all the different competencies that are involved. Okay, and then you have to submit this and. What is there some kind of review board or something like that? Yeah, so you have an assessor that looks at your portfolio, and then I believe I'm right in saying it then also gets looked at by uh, someone external as well. Um, and then once that's all approved, then you get put forward for for the practical. Okay, and then is it like a certification or is it a license or what? What is the like credentials that you? Yeah, it's, it's effectively uh, it's a certification. Yeah. Now you mentioned the training changed a little bit during the during COVID. Are there other ways that kind of the job has tra- has changed during all of this? Um, yeah, that's, actually, that's something I've been asked quite a, quite a few times by different people, and um, I always say mm-hmm. it's kind of it. The days themselves were the the, the same, but the, the workload definitely increased. Um, and we it was a bit quite fast change, but we adapted quite quickly. So we went from whereas we normally work. Um, Monday to Friday um, we actually switched to a seven day kind of working week where we were rotated kind of days off um, other than Saturday and Sunday and then we had a large number of people from across the hospital actually helping us out as well so we had a number of people from um, the, the histopathology and the pathology labs uh, who whose normal work was actually disrupted because of COVID they came and they helped us um, so we normally mm-hmm. a team of about six people, and I think at one point we had twelve other people here and there helping us out um, in different places. And we just kind of just worked quite closely with the, the other people involved, so the funeral directors um, and uh, the coroner's office, and we just tried to kind of keep on top of everything. But yeah, it was it was a stressful time. Mm-hmm. I bet, I bet. You've been on a few other podcasts, which actually in the show notes for this, I'll link uh, I'll link to those so everybody can listen to them as well. Ooh. But you mentioned on those that your uh, part of your job is providing technical support uh, during the aut- autopsies. So, w- what does that mean? Like, are you actually involved in the autopsy, or, or, or what are you doing? Yeah, we we assist. When we say assist, we actually we do quite a bit. We are quite involved with the the main kind of bulk of the the post mortem work that we actually complete is what we call kind of the um coronial or coroner post mortem. So they're they are instructed by the coroner that they have to be completed. And for those ones we work with the pathologist, but we actually do the the evisceration, so the removal of the organs ourselves. Um and okay. the pathologist will do um the external examination, but we quite often work with them to do that as well. Um and then when the evisceration is complete, then the, the pathologist will look at the organs. When that part of it is complete, then we do the actual reconstruction of the person afterwards as well. Okay. Okay. So that sounds very similar to what a the US pathologist assistant does as far as the autopsies. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did I did wonder that if it would be the same kind of thing. Although we're Typically, we're more involved in the surgical pathology side of things, but a lot of us do uh, autopsies as well. And that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, just to see how your job is similar to what we're doing. And then we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, like here in some of the medical examiner offices, some PAs are getting involved in that. And I know you have more, it's it's mostly a coroner system there, correct? Yeah, yeah. 
are there any APTs involved with like the, the corner offices? No, not as in, I think it's slightly different. The, the coroner's office kind of, they have like coroner's um, kind of officers who work alongside them, kind of uh, working with the uh, the instruction of the postmortems and the dealing with the families and that kind of side of things. Um, and then we work with, with them. So no, I think, yeah, the structure is slightly different. Okay, so it's a completely different position. Is that an area that APTs want to get involved in? Uh, in terms of working alongside the, the, in, the in terms of working alongside the coroners, yes. Um, no, probably. I, I mean, personally, I don't. I don't think so. I, I hate to speak for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. I think maybe in terms of where you're comparing it to what's in the US, it might be kind of you're thinking more about kind of working with the pathologist and and that side of things. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that may be an area that actually um, APTs are quite interested in getting more involved in um, in the future. And that may be something that actually we work towards with the qualifications that they get to a point where actually we're, we're kind of closer to the the medical side of things and the, the, yeah, the actual consultant kind of doctor side of things. But um, yeah, the, that kind of is left to be looked at, I think. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was just wondering because here with the shortage of forensic pathologists, the PA position is trying to sort of get more involved in the forensic setting to kind of fill that gap so i was yeah. just wondering if it was the no, same it's, it's actually okay. very similar we have um it, it's not on kind of it's not not talked about that we we do have a shortage of pathologists in the country um so i think one of the ways of maybe possibly using that is for apts to almost kind of step up and, and fill in a, a, in a way um how exactly that would work i don't know Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, all right. So that's some of the, I was looking at some of the similarities between our two positions, but one thing that's very different is you're more involved in kind of after the autopsy, the preparing the body for burial and communicating with the family and, and things like that. So, so first I want to ask you when, when you started learning those things, was that, was that difficult to, to do? In terms of kind of speaking to the families, it was something that I found quite daunting and quite scary initially. Um, There wasn't really any training as such. It was more just kind of learning from what my colleagues did and observing how they kind of dealt with those conversations. And and in a way, you you almost get a feel for it and you just kind of realize kind of how you would want to be communicated things if you were in that situation. Um, The... The level three diploma that I was talking about, the actual um, like certificate that we get, uh, there is a, a certain um, module in that which is actually to do with communication and how we communicate with different people and, and families are discussed within that. But yeah, there's no real like kind of official training as such with how to speak to families. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is part of the job. It's not a huge part of the job. And, and some APTs, they don't actually really speak to families or have that involvement at all. It, it very much depends on where you work. In your particular position, you do have that job duty, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you find that, I don't want to say if you enjoy it, but do you find that rewarding to help these families definitely definitely is it's um particularly during um covid we were actually receiving a large number of phone calls from families because it was very confusing for families as to what they could and couldn't do in terms of um seeing their loved ones or attending funerals 
And it was, yeah, we were kind of a point of contact for that. And, and yeah, being able to help people is, is a huge part of why I love my job. Now, are you involved in the actual, well, when they could have funerals, where are you involved in setting that up and organizing all of that? No. Or is that something different? No. No, that's no. different. Yeah, that is different. All right. So let's, let's go back a little bit. So before you became an APT, uh, you studied archaeology and forensic archaeological science. Mm-hmm. All right. How did, how did you become interested in that? Um, it was something that from quite a young age, like when I was really, really young, I, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a vet and I wanted to work with animals. Um, and that was kind of okay. the thing. And then I, I realized that actually animals dying actually really upset me. Um, and, uh, so I was kind of quickly turned off that, but I had always had a big interest in history and actually a family friend when I was quite young, uh, was, involved in archaeology she was an archaeologist and I was quite inspired by her to get involved in that and I, I loved doing my undergrad I loved my degree um but unfortunately there, there wasn't really much work out there for me and I was struggling mm-hmm. to get work so I went back to university and that's when I did um, a master's degree in uh, forensic archaeological science which had quite a heavily um like a portion of that was in forensic anthropology as well so that's kind of where I got an interest in in the mortuary side of things because we actually did quite a bit of work in the university mortuary and that's where yeah my uh, my interest in mortuary work actually grew (laughs) what kind of work at the time did you do in the in the mortuary we were kind of observing the dissections that students were doing um to aid our, our kind of anthropological anthropological work um and uh yeah it was it was more an observational side of things than anything but i i just loved spending time in the mortuary and working with the students and observing what they were actually doing in there okay and then as part of your uh training in, in forensic archaeological science it, did you ever like go on I don't know. And like you see on TV, they go on, you know, different countries and go on digs and things like that. Was that part of it? Yeah, I didn't actually get the in um, when I was studying archaeology. I actually did get to travel abroad. Um, I went to I did some work in Romania and I did some work in Greece. But oh wow, yeah, that was that was quite cool. But um, during my master's degree, we the only thing that we did do we had kind of a mock crime scene that was set up in kind of the countryside in this country um that was yeah set up by our our lecturer and we had the opportunity to kind of yeah try out some some stuff there well like like what kind of stuff did you have to like try to figure out what happened or yeah yeah effectively um there was a kind of section of woodland um that she'd kind of hidden some stuff in um some plastic bones um and some kind of fly casings and insect casings that we had to kind of find and and look at that sounds pretty interesting i think i would enjoy that too (laughs) yeah okay coming out of your master's degree how did that lead you to APT? Um, it's, it's it's quite an interesting. Well, I, I think it's an interesting story. I um from coming out of my master's degree, I tried to get back into archaeology and I tried to get into forensic archaeology, but I really struggled. It was around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, when um the economy in this country wasn't doing so great, so there wasn't that many jobs around. Um, sure. And I then had to kind of rely back on what experience I had from other work. So while I was at university, I'd worked for a while in retail and um, I went back to that. So I went to work in a shop for a while. And then while I was there, they they kind of put me forward for different management stuff. And I kind of figured out that really wasn't for me. Um, off the back of that, then I had a friend who worked in, um, in finance and in kind of the investment side of things. So she got me a job at her 
where she worked. And then I worked in finance for for a kind of chunk of good kind of five years. Um, and again, I just really didn't like it. I knew it wasn't for me. Uh, the pay was was great, but I, I wasn't happy. And then that through, through, kind of through that, I realized that I just money wasn't bringing me happiness. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then um, a friend of mine who I studied at university with, um, she actually studied uh, Egyptology and she had struggled in a similar way for work. She'd got into uh-huh. um, accountancy and then she'd actually got married, made her own wedding cake and then realized that she had a really big talent for making cakes. <laughs> okay. So she's quite happy making kind of wedding cakes for people. And said, like, I was just miserable one day. And I, she just said to me, like, what do you want to do? And I said, I'd actually, it may sound odd, but I'd really love to work in a mortuary. And she kind of gave me the kick and the, the drive to actually look into it a bit more and figure out how I could make that happen. And and through that, I contacted the, the local mortuary manager and, and got talking to him. And through that, I got some work experience um, and a couple of failed job applications. And... And the third time lucky, and he's now my manager. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So, And you've been working in the same place ever since? I have, yeah. The APTs have a professional organization called the AAPT. Yeah. All right. I'd like to learn more about this organization. So, and I know you're, you're a bit involved with it as well. Can you, can you tell me about it? What, it? what is it and what does it do? Yeah, sure. So the AAPT is the um, Association of Anatomical Pathology Technology. Um, they started in uh, 2003, and they're the recognised professional body for APTs, um, not just in the UK, but they also accept people to apply from overseas as well. Okay. And they're heavily involved with other uh, professional bodies in this country, such as the um, Institute of Biomedical Science and the Royal College of Pathologists. And they work to kind of improve the, the career as a whole and support the members. Um, a large part of what they're actually working towards at the moment is to get to a point where there's statutory regulation um, and registration for APTs. So the idea is that at the moment it's it's on a volunteer uh, registration basis. So we can volunteer to register with different bodies, but actually what we want to get to a point to is where we want it to be compulsory for, and then be taken more seriously. Okay. I've actually been a student rep on the AAPT council now for, I think it's about two years. I was trying to work it out earlier. I think it's about two years. So I've been working quite closely with, or as close as I can really, with the, the students and the various different courses that they run um, and kind of giving feedback and stuff to the council and then trying to um, give advice to various people as well. That's a large part of being student rep is giving advice to people who want to kind of get into this kind of career and giving people um, tips on um, different things they can do to improve their applications um, and get volunteer work. Okay. All right. That seems like it's got to be a bit difficult to for in that position because there's not you don't have like specific schools where you can go and talk to everybody at once. You've got everybody in separate places all over the country, right? I mean, how do you, how do you coordinate all of that as far as communicating with all the students? Yeah, it's, it has been quite a challenge actually. And it's something that I think it's um, something that I have been trying to work on as best I can, trying to work through social media um, and different kind of, uh, groups on different platforms trying to speak to different people that way okay. uh yeah i can't i can't possibly kind of have communication face to face with everybody right right okay the aapt 
well, I guess bef- before COVID, did they have like conferences and, and, and things like that, meetings? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was something I was going to mention. They, um, okay. they always, um, well, pre-COVID, run events every right. year. So we'd have um, the annual education event, which is equivalent to kind of a conference kind of situation. But um, yeah, so everyone would gather in a different place within the UK. Last year, it was in Edinburgh. And there's different kind of uh, talks while we're there and different uh, people talking about various different things and um, updates from the different kind of regulation um, bodies that we, we report to. And yeah, and, and as well as that, they run different events around the country throughout the year as well, just kind of from different guest speakers and, and things like that. Okay. Do you have, like here we've got like con- continuing ed- education credits that we have to earn so many every three years or whatever in order to recertify do you have something similar like that yeah yeah so the aapt actually is part of the website they have a a, a section of it where you're actually able to record your cpd um, Mm -hmm. and get points for different things so obviously attending stuff gets you more points and yeah that that just gives people the opportunity to be able to to keep track of that if they have uh got voluntary registration with with someone and, and I, then if they haven't as well, you can do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And you have, there's a certain number of these credits that you have to earn for what, what sort of time period? Um, I, I, I think they get assessed every year um, okay. and there's a certain that you can do and then you can get, yeah, a, a certificate at the end of it. Oh, I see. Okay. Mm. Um, have you ever presented at one of these uh, conferences? Not yet. I'd like to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I want to talk f- for a bit about your uh, your blog. So you go by Mor- Mortuary Gem. From what I read, you started the blog in 2017. So this would be right when you began as an as your your APT tra- training, right? Yeah, I started it actually. I think a little bit before I actually started my job. Um, okay. I can't remember exactly, but I remember. I think I I wrote a bit about kind of how I was applying for different jobs and about mm-hmm. how I wanted to get involved in this. Um, and then kind of, yeah, just followed my, my path through my, I initially started off, um, I didn't actually apply for a, a trainee position. I started off as a, a mortuary assistant. So that's kind of a, a kind of support role within the mortuary. And then while I was here, I, I applied for a trainee position and I managed to um, get that as well. So yeah, just about kind of, it it started off as largely it was actually people like friends and family and everyone was quite interested in um what i was doing and wanted to know a bit more about it and actually it, i rather than repeat myself over and over again and my poor boyfriend and at the time kind of listened to me telling the same story over and over again it was kind of good that i had this place that people would go to and just read about it oh, okay <laughs> um, yeah, and then it kind of grew and grew and grew, and then people I didn't know were reading it, and then I was getting yeah, kind of a lot of people getting contact with me over Twitter, and um, and yeah, it's kind of it's grown into this huge thing that I never really expected because I didn't think people really would be interested in me just whispering on about random stuff. But, right, right. Um, but yeah. <laughs> so, like, what kind of feedback did you get from other people? Do you, or you know, have you inspired anyone else to? follow a, a career path like like yours yeah but I, had, I i even before i started my um student rep role with the aapt i used to get people get in contact with me quite a bit about um applying for apt roles or then some people had never even heard of 
an, an APT. I personally, I hadn't until I kind of looked into it a bit further. Mm-hmm. So actually getting the, the name of, of um, animal pathology technologists out there and having people understand that they're the people in the UK that staff the mortuaries is, is quite important. But yeah, I've had some really good feedback. Some people um, just really like, are interested and they just really like it and they like kind of the updates that I give and and sometimes I write about various different things. So I've kind of written a little bit of a series recently about um, different like anatomical structures in the neck. So I've been doing like a series about neck uh-huh. stuff. Um, but yeah, it's uh, some people just just yeah like reading that stuff. And yeah, it still baffles me every time we get lots of people get in contact with me and say they've read it. <laughs> you know, that's interesting that you say just getting the the name out there because that's a similar situation for us here in the U.S. People don't know who we are. Uh, you know, outside of the hospital lab. So that. that oh, okay, that's interesting. I, yeah, I did wonder because I, I I didn't know if um it was kind of a more well-known thing out there, but that's interesting. It's it's like, it, it seems like it's starting to get more recognized, but we, it's, it, 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 we still have a way to, ways to go. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, hmm. And I think, you know, for you and, and here too, like, you know, the podcast and whatever, just doing things like that, that people can see and read and listen to it. I think it helps for, for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You were saying like more, more recently, you were talking about structures in the neck and things like that. You've, you've had a few blog posts about different cemeteries that you visited as well. Oh yeah. That's, um, yeah. Part of, I, I kind of call myself a cemetery wanderer. I just like going to cemeteries and walking around. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, that's all kind of um, we, especially where I am, kind of the, the edge of the, the city of London. It's um, it's we have some amazing historical cemeteries around here, and I do feel like people don't visit them as much as they probably should. Um, just from a, the historical perspective, the the fact that some of them are beautiful and just like really lovely places, um, mm-hmm. and I think they're avoided by a lot of people. So yeah, I kind of um, I like kind of visiting and taking photographs of them and, and writing about them. You know, my wife and I visited London, it was probably 20 years ago now, um, and maybe 19. And one of the things that struck me is how how old a lot of things are compared to in the U.S. You know, you, I mean, centuries older. And I, I imagine some of the cemeteries, that same kind of thing, they're just, they're just very old. And it's, you know, it, t- it kind of ties back to the history part that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I I go on about it quite a bit, actually, on the blog, but there's mm-hmm. um, the, the big kind of change in the Victorian time was to stop burying in churchyards within the city and then move everybody out to these big kind of cemeteries outside of the city. So that there was these um, nine cemeteries that were built around kind of the edge of the city to kind of take everyone everyone's dead out okay. um, and they are they're incredible they're just so yeah um some of them are more looked after than others but even the ones that aren't so well looked after some of the monuments and things within them they just they are beautiful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay all right and then the last thing i wanted to ask you about you, you wrote about something called death cafe uh, mm-hmm. can you tell me about w- what is this Sure. Um, so yeah, Death Cafe is something that I've been involved in for about two and a half years now. But it actually started in uh, 2011 in in London in in Hackney. But it, yeah, it was started by a guy called John Underwood, and and the idea was that um, you would get people just together, um, drinking tea and eating cake and and discussing anything to do with with death and dying. 
Um, and there's there's no kind of there's no agenda as such behind it. There's nothing specific that people talk about. But the idea is that you just get people to discuss this thing that maybe they can't discuss elsewhere, and they can't talk about it with with other people like their friends or families as such. So. Um, it's trying to break through the taboo that surrounds the subject of death and, and trying to get more and more people talking about it. I forget where you were speaking about. I think one of the podcasts you were speaking about how it's it's all done over Zoom now because of because of COVID. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So pre-COVID, I was actually running, uh, I was running two a month. So I started off running one, um, I kind of say out in the community because I always think of kind of hospital and outside his community. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was running one outside of, uh, of the hospital and the work that I do here um, with my friend Rachel. Um, pretty much, I got interested in it when I started my job, my job here. But yeah, I was running it with her um, and it, it was going really, really well. And then that's why um, the guys at the hospital actually picked up on it and said, oh, would you be interested in running one kind of through the hospital? So then I started running um, one once a month, once a month here. Uh, but then COVID came along. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we switched over quite quickly to, to running them over Zoom. And, and that has been absolutely blown my mind how, how well that's worked. Um, I get so many different people from different backgrounds and different places and different countries now as well um wanting to join which is is yeah amazing i i'm so grateful and yeah people quite often ask me kind of like what is uh, a death cafe like um and i kind of always say to people you should come along because i can't really describe it they're all very different and you always get different people with different experiences and want to talk about different things so everyone every single event is completely different so yeah, if anyone's interested, they're more than welcome. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'll I'll put a link to to Death Cafe as well. I wonder, cool. have you had people? Have you talked to people like maybe they had a family member that passed away, and they're they're there to kind of help deal with with that? Is that part of part of it? It's ideally Death Cafe is not supposed to be any kind of form of kind of grief counseling or bereavement okay. support such so if people do approach me um, and that's their reason for coming i normally try and kind of put them in the direction of different charities who, who do that kind of work but i do get some people who may have um gone through a bereavement um and it's just made them think a bit more about kind of their own mortality or, or death in general and then people are more than welcome to kind of share their experiences but just kind of more as a conversation topic as opposed to kind of getting support for those things so yeah i don't kind of deter people from from coming along if that is kind of what they want to talk about but yeah it should never be kind of treated as a form of of grief counseling sure okay that makes sense that makes sense okay uh Gemma, this has been really interesting i'm uh, glad you had the time thank you so much for being here oh thank you so much for having me it's been really great Big thanks to Gemma Norburn. Now I'll have links in the show notes to her blog, to the AAPT, and to some of the other podcasts that she's been on. Uh, so go to the show notes. That's at peopleofpathology.podbean.com. And of course, you could follow this show on Twitter at People of Path. And if you like this episode, make sure you share it with someone you know. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. I'm a member and the CFO of the American Association of Pathologist Assistants. This show does not necessarily represent the views of the AAPA and receives no financial support from the AAPA. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.
And now here's a preview of our next episode. Elise Gray returns to the show to talk about her new book. The book is dedicated to Dr. David Jeffrey. Can you explain who he is and how, how did he have an influence on you? He was my mortuary science, pathology, and microbiology professor, and he was the one who inspired me to become a pathologist assistant. The way he taught was wonderful. Um, it made diseases seem fun in a way. He used a lot of humor throughout his lectures. Uh, they were all very factual, but there was humor, and that just really enhanced the learning. And that's what I wanted to do with Compendium Pandemica. I feel like the history sections, for me, I think those were my favorite sections because they provide a context for each disease. And they also kind of show how far humanity has come as far as improving things like sanitation and insect control and vaccination, especially. Uh, would you agree with that? Exactly. And it's amazing how long sometimes it took for humanity to realize, oh, we can easily prevent and control diseases if we just do these simple things. But you really have to study the past to appreciate the present sometimes. For more from Elise Gray, tune in next week to the People of Pathology podcast.